again, church, good morning. I, uh, I'm anxious to continue on in our, in our time in Job. So far, this has been, I have loved our time in Job so far. And I wanted to start this morning by asking you a strange question. Uh, has anyone heard of the idea of karma? All right, so a good portion of us. Uh, karma is this idea that comes from um, Hindu, Hinduism, Buddhism, that, that basically, in a nutshell, you can go a lot deeper than this, but your actions today, both the good and the bad, uh, will bring on you either good and bad or bad in the future. All right, you, in the sense that what you do today will, will uh, come full circle, if you will, in the future. Now, in uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, there's a strong idea to reincarnation. So, so it's not only, well, if you do something good today, tomorrow, you might have something good happen. But it, it's bigger than that. Uh, the idea is that maybe it's in this life, maybe it's in the next life. But, but what you do know is the universe keeps track of these things. And, and what you do will affect your future at some point in time. You're, it's the idea that you're going to get yours, Right? So as Christians, uh, of course, we don't believe in reincarnation the way that a Hindu or a Buddhist would believe. But the idea of karma, Christian karma, if you will, is, is in many ways alive in presence. The idea that you get what you deserve. How about this? You reap what you sow, right? That's scripture. You, you reap what you sow. Uh, bad and wicked people, they're going to get punishment and, and good and righteous people are going to receive blessing. Um, the things that happen to you, uh, just put it like this. Let, let's bring it real uh, to our lives. Someone in your workplace is just incredibly dishonest, cheats their way, and they get the promotion. One that you wanted, and you know they were just, this guy is a scumbag, and he did it, and he got it, and you wanted it. What do we tell ourselves often? Don't worry, they're going to get theirs. They're going to get what's coming to them. They're going to get theirs. Um, have you ever thought that? All right, we have some honest people here. Um, how about this? When you see someone who's worked really hard, they've given everything and they've, they've worked with integrity and honesty and, and yet they keep getting beat down and they don't, it doesn't seem like anything's paying off. What do we tell ourselves? Well, they're going to get theirs. Don't worry. They're going to get theirs. Uh, how about this? You have worked really hard in a, in a job or a relationship. You've poured yourself into a job or uh, to a relationship, and you get abused, ignored, or it just you can show nothing for it. What do you say to yourself? It's okay. I know my heart, and I'm going to get mine. I'm going to... This is the idea... Um, of karma in, in some way or another. Uh, the universe is going to make this thing right. So don't answer this out loud. We will return to this. But church, what do we do with the idea of karma? Is karma Christian? Is karma scriptural? What do we do with karma? Is this something that we need to reject in its entirety? Or is it something that, well, there's some truth there, you know, I'm glad you asked. We are going to deal with that today. So um, we're dropping into a conversation with Job and his friends, and, and we're just going to, 
Honestly, we're going to get to wrestle with this this morning. But a couple things that I want to just lay groundwork before we get there. Uh, Number one, we're switching genres today. Now, what that means is if you've been here the last couple weeks, we've looked at Job 1 and 2. Both Job 1 and 2 are history, they're narrative, they tell us a story in nice paragraph form. That is not the case any longer. Uh, starting today, we shift into beautiful Hebrew poetry. Anyone like poetry? Maybe three of us. Um, my hand's not up, so I don't, I'm not judging. Um, but when we read poetry, we need to read it differently. Uh, when I say that, when you read poetry, the language is a little more um, colorful, It can be repetitive. Uh, There are going to be times when you're reading in this text and you're going to say, no one talks like this. And I know this is an old book, but they didn't talk like this back then either, right? You're going to see this. It's because you're reading poetry and you're not reading prose anymore. Uh, That's important for us to, to see because, hear me, it's intentional. And it communicates something to us. Another thing that I want to see, I want us to see before we jump in, is we're going to be looking at Job chapters 3 through 42. Uh, I'll just call it thematically. So uh, at Stone Oak Bible, what we typically do is we take a book of the Bible and we walk through it verse by verse. Uh, we enjoy this. We think it's rich. We love just the simple just walking through uh, a book of the Bible. Well, we are not going to do that through the book of Job. We're going to look at it a little differently. Instead of verse by verse, we're going to look at this middle poetic section, theme by theme. Uh, we're going to do this for two main reasons. Number one is context. Uh, when you're studying Job, context is important. When you're looking at the conversation between the friends, context is very important. If you were to take just a, a couple lines of this off to itself, you would come to different conclusions as to when you, when you look at it in, in the whole. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the whole and then break it down into parts. And, and when we do this, I think that we're going to be able to, um, I think it's doing this book justice because we're going to see the way things fit, the way they come together. Number two, the reason we're doing it thematically is let's just be honest, length. Job is long, and if we were to um, just walk through it verse by verse, there's nothing wrong with that, we would be here for about five to six years. And I love the book of Job. There's nothing wrong with that, but in, I believe it does the book a disservice because what we're going to see is a lot of repetition. Again, this is intentional because we're dealing with poetry, but we're going to see a lot of repetition. And so what I think is if, you, if we study this verse by verse in this context, it might do this book a disservice. And so what we've decided to do is look at it theme by theme over the next couple weeks. So what we're going to do is we are going to look at three prominent themes, not all this morning. We're going to look at one of them this morning. But over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at three prominent themes that are all over these chapters. They're all over. Uh, In fact, I I believe that as we look at these themes, that we are going to be able to walk out of the room with a great understanding of the book of Job. And that is my my goal. Um, Fair warning, these will challenge you, and fair warning, today's will challenge you as, as as it did me. So let me do this. Let me pray for us, 
And then let's dive in today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Job. I thank you for the last couple weeks as as a church we've been able to walk through this incredible book together. And I pray for our time together this morning. God, that you would speak and that you would be clear. And that we would leave here um, knowing that you have spoken to us and that we would not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want us to imagine uh, that we are Job. Uh, We are an upright, righteous blameless, awesome guy, all right? That's you. Put yourself in that place. Uh, Without warning, you lose everything. You lose everything that you have worked so hard in life to acquire. You lose um, people you love, including your very own children. Without warning, you lose your health. And in in one moment, um, everything is, is taken away. Some of us in this room can relate to this on some level, but you're, you're there and things are great and then they are not. That's where Job is. He's sitting here in his brokenness and his closest friends, as we talked about last week, have come to the scene. They've come to his side. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that they sat there for a week without saying anything and, and they're going to open their mouths. And Here's the basic idea, and I want to put this on the screen. First theme that I want us to see is wickedness equals punishment. Righteousness equals blessing. The friends are going to come to Job, and this is going to be one of the most prominent things that they will say to Job, is wickedness equals punishment. Righteousness equals blessing. Job, you are suffering. You're being punished. And why are you being punished? Well, because you're wicked. Right? Uh, Because you're wicked. You must have done something to deserve this. Because if you were righteous, remember, you would be blessed. You would continue to be blessed like you have been in your life. So what I want us to do is just do a little flyby so you can see this theme emerge from the friends as they're talking. Um, And this is just a sampling. You could, honestly, you open Job anywhere and you're going to see this theme. But um, let's start with Eliphaz. This is uh, a.k.a. friend number one. Uh, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity will sow trouble uh, and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. It's a little passive-aggressive to say to a friend in suffering. Uh, Listen to this. Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. You hear that? For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. Uh, You have given no water to the weary to drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land. That's you, Job. And the favored man man lived in it. Yet, listen to this, verse 9. You have sent widows away empty. And the arms of the fatherless were, were crushed. Therefore, because of that, snares are all around you and sudden terror overwhelms you. 
and darkness so that you cannot see and a flood of water covers you. So Job's sitting here and, and friend number one says, can we even count all the, the things that you've done to deserve this? That's, that is uh, heavy uh, for Job. Let's go to friend number two, uh, Bildad. He is by far, I think, the most passive-aggressive of the bunch. Um, listen to this. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. I mean, this is, this is incredibly passive-aggressive here. Uh, let's go to Zophar. Uh, the uh, friend number three, for you say my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you. Well, God's going to do that in a moment, but, um, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Listen to this. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Whew. Imagine telling that to someone who is broken and just a broken man, and you say, oh, you're only getting half of what you deserve. That is Zophar. Um, he continues, he says, if you, iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, and let not injustice dwell in your, in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery Remember, righteousness equals blessing. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. It's, it's gone. It's gone. Um, and your life will be brighter than the noonday. It, its darkness will be like the morning, and you will feel secure. You see this picture he's painting? Because there is hope. You will look around and, and take your rest in security. You will lie down, and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor, but listen to this. But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. All right, so this was just a flyby of some of the encouraging things that the friends were counseling Job with. Job, you're suffering because of something in your life, some sin. God is just, right? And he blesses those who are righteous and he punishes the wicked. So Job, your suffering is a result of one thing. There's something, some sin that you have under the surface. And then he goes on and they start, I love the way um, friend number one, Eliphaz, the way he just starts painting pictures of what it could be. Like, he probably ignored the widow. He probably turned away the poor. You probably kicked the fatherless. Like, he's just heaping insults, accusations onto, onto Job. Um, I know that you're hurting, you know, but we're just all going to take turns. Just piling on, that's, that's Job. Uh, Job's suffering was a result of a sin, and if he stops, God's going to restore him, because if he is now righteous, he will be blessed. So that's the friend's message. But throughout the entire conversation in Job, uh, it kind of escalates, as it gets going, and Job not once concedes. He holds to his innocence. He defends himself the entire um, dialogue. 
He says this repeatedly. Uh, Listen to this. This is an example. This is at the end. So he's kind of his last hurrah against these friends. Job says, as God lives, who has taken away my right and the almighty who has made my soul bitter. As you see, Job is turned into a little bit of an um, accusation. But listen to this. As long as my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and I will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. That's bold. He does not concede. Um, He says, my conscience is clear. And I'm going to hold to this and I will not lie. Uh, He holds to the fact that his suffering is not a result of sin. It's not a result of him, his wickedness. He does not concede. One accusation after the, the other, he does not concede. So the question that I want to talk through is, is who was right? Was, uh, was, was Job? Was his friends? Uh, his friends said this, wickedness equals punishment and righteousness equals blessing. And Job says, no, I am not suffering because of the result of my sin. Church, who was right? The answer is yes. We're going to unpack this. Let's first look at Job. Job was absolutely correct. Absolutely correct that his suffering was not a result of his sin. We uh, get this scene in Job 1 and 2 uh, that that God, he's just an upright man. He's righteous. Uh, that, That scene in heaven when God and Satan are dialoguing and he says, Have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. He fears the Lord. He turns from evil. This was, in other words, Job's suffering right, was not a result of his sin. Job's suffering was, was not happening until he came clean, right? Job's suffering was not, in this case, a punishment. In church, there are things that you're going to go through in your life that are going to happen to you that you do not deserve. That you do not deserve. You may walk through some things that are incredibly incredibly painful and incredibly difficult and they're not a result of something bad you did the week before. You have to understand that because if you don't, something terrible can happen and that is you begin to experience guilt and shame on the top of your suffering. That you begin to start, let's think of Job. Um, If all of this was a result of sin in his life, imagine if Job started to believe that lie. Imagine if Job um, started to believe that, and imagine the guilt that would have flooded into his life. This man lost his kids. And these men are telling him, it's your fault. Imagine that guilt and that shame. If he would have bought this lie, it would have been devastating. And too often, I I see people believing a lie like that. And there's guilt on top of the suffering that they may be going through. 
Um, But Job's suffering, remember, was not brought on by his own sin or wickedness. Now, this is going to be the first um, clarification moment of of the morning, but I don't want you to misunderstand me. Um, There are uh, consequences for our actions. Um, If you make really foolish, terrible life decisions, you may reap the consequences of those, uh, of those decisions. For example, if you're a cheater, you cheat on your taxes, and you're found out, you will reap the consequences for your sin, right? This is, this is the way life, life works. You will, you will um, reap earthly consequences for your sin, um, I'm not saying that that's not real. We're going to come back to that, but please don't hear me wrong. Um, there is a consequence for, earthly, for your earthly decisions and actions. But as we look in the story of Job, and as we consider the way Job responded to his friends, hear me, Job was correct. Job was correct. His suffering was not the result of sin. Now, let's consider his friends, because this is the interesting one. Uh, were his friends correct? Yes and no. We've talked about a little bit about the way they were incorrect, but let's consider how were his friends correct. Wickedness equals punishment. Righteousness equals blessing. That was their, their statement, their theme to, to Job. Um, as we think about this statement, this is undoubtedly true. This is absolutely true. Uh, in fact, we stand on this as truth. We proclaim this as, as truth. Let's start with wicked equals punishment. Well, we know for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Wickedness equals punishment. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because All sinned. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. These are just a few places. Ultimately, sin and wickedness equals punishment. Ultimately, sin and wickedness must be dealt with. It must be punished. Well, let's look at righteousness equals blessing. Again, this is ultimately true. Listen to this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Listen to this. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Listen to this. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned flesh in the sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So church, ultimately that is True, and ultimately, this is one of the most amazing and beautiful things about the gospel. Uh, Jesus came for the wicked. 
he lived a perfect life, right? And he, as he completed the work on the cross, he then gave his perfection to all of those who call on his name. Um, theologians have for centuries called this imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. And it's this act where Jesus Christ gives us his perfection. He gives us his perfection. And for a moment, push the pause button. I want you to personalize this because it's easy to just think big theology, but personalize this for a moment. When God looks at you, knowing everything about you, when he looks at you, knowing everything about you, he sees you as perfect. Perfect. Not just good enough. Jesus did not die to make you good enough. perfect. The Father, when he looks at you, sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. It's perfection. This is good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. And again, this isn't a righteousness that we earn or we do, we contribute to, but it's the righteousness of Christ. So remember, it's, it's righteousness equals blessing. So if we are righteous through Christ, then what? We are blessed through Christ. We are blessed through Christ. Wickedness equals punishment. Righteousness equals blessing. So let's, let's package this all up. So we were once wicked. Our Savior t- came to take our punishment, making us righteous and giving us blessing. This is beautiful. It is the gospel in a statement. We stand on this. Ultimately, the friends were right and they were oh so wrong at the same time because they took this truth and they misapplied it. They, in other words, they, they took the truth of God represented in this statement and they just applied it incorrectly. Um, God will ultimately reward those who follow him. Um, there will be a blessing. There will be rewards, right? But... And there, on top of that, there will also be punishment for wickedness. But the question is when? When? And this is where the friends got a little off track because are we promised to see this in its completion today, tomorrow, or even in our lifetime? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You may serve the Lord faithfully. This is painful to even say, turning from sin and showing others love, and you may lose something, someone in your life that you love dearly. You may follow Jesus faithfully, and you may get a diagnosis that puts you on your knees. The promise is not for the here and now. The reality is, and one thing we struggle through as we look at Job, is, is the fact that bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people in this world and often good things happen to bad people. Good things happen to bad people. Uh, it's, it's what is often called common grace and it's that for those who don't know God, they reject him, they don't, somehow some of those people are blessed. They are healthy, they have um, Wealth, they're blessed, and we can't explain it. We can't explain it. Um, Does this mean there's injustice in God? 
that he's lost track of his world? And of course not. Of course not. Um, here's what this means, is that his perspective is so much larger than ours. His perspective, his understanding is so much beyond ours. And, and things may not work out the way we want in the timing that we want, right? We've all been there. Um, things may not work out, but God has not made a mistake. And if Job shows us anything, it's that we can trust him when we do not understand. That we can trust him absolutely. And this is what was happening here with Job's friend. Uh, let me put it like this. It's so easy, and too often I think we do this, is we take God and we try to put him in our box. We take God and we try to put him in our box and we think, well, God, you operate like this. God, this is how you work, right? This is how um, you're going to come through because remember, this is who you are. Not We try to put God in in a box, and we think we have him figured out, but the, the truth is you don't want a God you have figured out. <laughs> if we can wrap our mind around all of the complexities of God himself, then our God is puny, and our God is not puny. He is beyond our understanding. His, his perspective is so beyond what we see. No matter how awesome, how big, how impressive your box may be, I promise you it doesn't fit our God. I promise. In our story, um, what was happening is, is Job's life, if you think about it, what had happened just would not fit into their boxes. And they were struggling uh, tremendously. God, how could you let this happen? Where are you, God? It did not fit in their, in their boxes. And, and God, at the end of Job, which I'm not going to get there because we will later, so gently reminds us, I don't fit into your boxes. Trust me. But I won't get there right now. Um, several thousand years later, we have the luxury of holding this. Okay? We have this luxury of holding, of holding this. We read about the scene that took place in the heavens. We read about God's kind of plan uh, behind the scenes. We get an insight um, these friends and Job, they did not have that. And so often, I find that we act just like these friends. And what I mean by that is when God stops making sense, we start to puzzle things together, and we come up with things like this, uh, and we misapply them because God doesn't seem to fit in our box. And that's exactly what we... We use things like karma, for example, we'll get back to it, to try to make sense of what we can't seem to understand. Bad thing happened, they're going to get theirs. It's an example of us trying to fit God and to get him to operate instead of being comfortable with the things that we don't know. Instead of being comfortable and trusting God when we don't have answers. Um, let me put it like this. God never forgets Job, and God has never said this word, oops, ever. He has never once said that word. No matter what, no matter what you're going through in your life, God has not forgotten about you, and still, he has never said the word, oops, ever. 
you're a follower of, of Christ this morning, I want you to hear two things. Uh, two things that I want to see kind of as we walk through this. Um, number one, don't take the guilt. Don't take the guilt. Um, that somehow you did something to earn punishment for your sins. Okay, I'm going to follow me here. If you're a follower of Jesus, your sin has already been dealt with in its entirety. It has been dealt with. Jesus was punished for your sin. And God does not reissue punishment that has already been dealt with. Your sin has been dealt with, it, with all of it. So if you're here and you're wondering, am I being punished for sin? Jesus was punished for your sin. Now, you may be facing some consequences of your sin, but we'll get there. Don't take the guilt. Uh, don't take the guilt. Um, even though you might be in the middle of what I call like a season of a self-inflicted wound, which you were not a smart person, you did some very terrible things, and you were just reaping all kinds of consequences from it. Even if you're in a season of self-inflicted wounds, there is grace in that season. There is grace in that season because you're loved perfectly in Christ. We already read this, but remember, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no room for guilt or condemnation to be added on top of your suffering. Don't take the guilt. Um, the second thing is this. Don't place the blame. Don't place uh, the blame. Some of you may feel like Job. Um, some of you may have gone through things and you think, I did not deserve that. That guy deserved that. I don't deserve that. How, God, could you ever... You're good, right, God? How could, and so easily, like what we read from Job, you can shift and start blaming God. You can start blaming. This is where Job was. Um, there are things, I just, I want to think about this. There are things that Job did not understand that were happening in his life. I want you to follow with me. Two things. One, we get no indication that Job ever knew about that scene in heaven where God was talking, and, and we get no indication that Job got to see behind the curtain like we have done. We get no, no indication of that. More than that, I want you to think about this. Job has no idea that his story was going to be shared for thousands, thousands, and thousands of years. Retold and, and retold and retold. It, God never came up to Job and said, you know, Job, you're about to go through some horrible things. I love you. I'm there, but it's going to be truly terrible. But get this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put your story in this thing that's going to be called the Bible. And for generations, they're going to be reading about your story. For generations, people are going to find strength in knowing the character of God through struggles, through your story, for generations. Job, get this, there's going to be thousands and thousands of years later, this little church in San Antonio, Texas, that's going to be sitting down looking at your story and talking about how good I am. Job had no idea the grand story that he was a part of. 
The reality is, Job was just to trust. And the reality is for us that that's ours as well. You have no idea. You have no idea the big picture perspective that God has on your current situation and your current struggles and your current life right now. Uh, Here's what we do know, though. God has never lost control of his world. He is sovereign. He is control. He is in control. He has never said oops, and he can be trusted. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, the message is the same, that that God can be trusted. He's never lost control of of his world. He is sovereign. He is in control. He has never said oops, and you can trust him. Jesus Christ died for you to pay your price so that through him you can know the love of God and that through him, get this, you can have peace through whatever storm you go through in life. Absolute peace that no one and nothing can take away from you. Why? Because you are his. Uh, We began our time talking about karma. So for a moment, in light of what we've just talked about, I want us to kind of land back here, and I want to, to uh, ask it again. Uh, do we as Christians believe in karma? What, do, what should we do as Christians with the idea of karma? I think a better question to ask, though, is, is can the idea of karma stand next to grace? Let me unpack this for a moment. Think through this with me, okay? Karma says you get what you deserve, Grace says Jesus got what you deserve. Karma says you are given punishment as a result of your sin. Grace says you are given blessing as a result of Jesus' perfection. As a a Christian, karma says bad for bad and good for good, but grace says no, there is none that is good but one, and that's Jesus Christ. Karma says you can earn for yourself good things in this life or the next, and grace says Christ was good on my behalf. Christ has given me the righteousness. And and all the good things, that's icing on the cake. Those are the rewards. And the rewards by what I'm going to lay at Jesus' feet in worship. Karma says you can do enough to ensure that good things are going to happen to you. Grace says Christ has done enough to secure your eternity with him. Karma says, ultimately, trust yourself. Do what's good and good will happen. Don't do bad things and bad things won't happen. Grace says, trust God. Trust God. Uh, Christian karma and Christian grace are in pretty strong contrast to each other. And they run in conflict with each other. I want to end with this. Um, Christian, let me assure you. You have not gotten what you deserve. You have not gotten what you deserve because you deserve death and Jesus took your death. Jesus, however, he deserved to stay on his throne and to rule and reign. But Philippians tells us um, that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grass. You remember this? But he chose instead to humble himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Um, You have not gotten what you deserved. He got what you deserved, and you've been given life, forgiveness, and grace. And I want to say it like this, and 
we'll, we'll land the plane with this. The gospel is a glad celebration that karma has been overcome by grace. The gospel proclaims loud and clear that the idea of karma has been overcome by grace. That's the beauty of our gospel, and that's the grace that we're invited into. Let me pray with us. God, I am overwhelmed. As I just stop and think how I deserve punishment, I deserve to be separated from you for all time. That's what I deserve. But that's not what I've been given. Jesus, you came. You didn't have to. You lived a perfect life that I could never live, and you died the death that I deserved. God, I, I, I praise you that you've overcome karma through your grace. And now I stand righteous before you because of the work of your son. And now I am confident through you that I will receive the blessing of being with you forever. An eternity spent with you. God, I am grateful. We are a grateful church that we stand on your gospel and not our own abilities or our own strengths or our own abilities to, to do good things and to not do bad. No, we stand on your gospel and your truth that in you we have acceptance based on what Jesus Christ, what you have done for us. And so God, we just stop and we thank you. And if um, there is anyone in this place right now that is wrestling with questions, who is in a season right now where, you, uh, where they cannot understand how, God, you could be in this when things are unraveling. I pray for anyone here in this room who is in that place. And God, I pray that we're able, like Job, to grab onto the fact that although we don't know, we will trust. And if there is someone in this room who does not yet know you, I pray that right now in this moment that you begin to move in their heart. I, I pray that you begin to show them how good you are. And God, through it all, we take no glory, but we give all glory and all honor and all praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.